Uh, and God, we thank you that your word promises us that when your word is spoken, it will not go out and return void. God, that your spirit works through it. God, that you will use this in people's hearts and minds. Um, God, I just pray, Lord, that anything that I say that's of me this morning, God, would just be burned away and forgotten, Father, but that your word and your spirit, God, speaking, God, those would be the things that pierce to people's hearts and minds. God, thank you for this church and this community. God, we just pray um, that as we dive in, Lord, we would just gain a better understanding of your desire for your church. God, your bride, you call it. Lord, we love you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, so I want to go back to the beginning. So we have Jesus. We all kind of know this story. Jesus died. He rose again. And he was with his believer. He was with the believers. There was about 120 believers at that time. And in John, we read Jesus, Jesus tells them kind of what's going to happen next, okay? So John 16, uh, 4, the second part of 4 into 11. So I don't know if we have, oh, we got it, perfect. All right, so we're going to start in the, uh, a little bit further on in that verse, but it says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. It's perfect. We're going to stop there. So, these people are with Jesus, and not only just Jesus, Jesus who already has died, defeated death, and rose again, and now they're with him again. So you have to think, for these believers, they're just kind of like running on adrenaline, kind of pumped up, like this guy was dead. We saw it on the, him on the cross. We saw him in the tomb. We saw him mummified, and now he's hanging out with us here. So they have to be kind of, kind of on fire. And then you have Jesus say, hey, but now I'm going to leave you. Now I'm going to leave you. So you go from Jesus rising from the dead to the point where he's going to leave, and he's telling them that it's to their advantage that he's going to go away. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was hanging out with Jesus and walking around with him, and he tells me that something even better is about to come, I'm going to be confused and excited all at the same time because I don't know how it could be much better than spending time with Jesus. So, but what Jesus said came true. So Jesus left, and we see uh, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down, um, and all of the believers there received the Holy Spirit. No longer, um, no longer were they alone. Now they had God's Spirit inside of them. All right, the God's Spirit was inside of them. This wasn't a temporary condition. Um, he now indwells in the believer then. And here's a Sunday school question. Did the, did the Holy Spirit leave after that church started doing their mission? Did the Holy Spirit, does he, is he done now? No, that's our Sunday school question. No, the Holy Spirit didn't leave us. The Holy Spirit is still with the believers today and dwelling in us, and we still have the same, the same Spirit that these believers did then. So what's next? What's next? Where do they go from here? Having Jesus to now having the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, it says there was 120 believers and 3,000 people saw this and became saved. 
So now, where do they go from here? The New Testament church is extremely distinct in who they were and how they did things. And this is what I want us to dive into today. So if you have a Bible, uh, open it up to Acts 2, 42 through 47. If not, we're going to have it up on the screen. So it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So I want to look at the characteristics that they describe in this verse. The first thing that they they talk about is that they were devoted. That the believers were devoted. And the word that they use there actually means exerting great effort or to persisting in doing something. So this indicates the action that is continuous and habitual. Their devotion to these things was nonstop. This was all that they worried about. This, this is what they put their time and effort and energy into. These behaviors and actions described, that we're going to describe were a part of their lives, and more than that, they were a part of who they were. So the first thing that we can note, and if you're taking notes, you can write this one down, is that the church was unified. There were three things that the church did together that really stood out from those verses. The first thing is their fellowship. Okay? And if we look at the Greek word that, they, that the original script used is here, it's the Greek word called koinonia. And it actually refers to an intimate knowledge of one another and a community that is so intimate and deeply bonded together. So it talks about how they were devoted to having that kind of relationship and community and strength and bond between each other. And as Christians, our relationships are meant to be like that in two directions. Our relationship vertically with God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and with other believers. We're supposed to have that kind of fellowship and bond and community together. The other thing it says that they were completely devoted to is, is breaking bread together. Now this was more than just a meal getting together to to grill up hot dogs and hamburgers together and satisfy, satisfy uh, a hunger. This was an occasion that they got together for intimate fellowship. It, was pro- it probably included time not just for dinner but for the Lord's Supper. Because think about it, they had just witnessed all this, so they were still on a high of celebrating the risen Christ. So they were taking communion as often as they got together to eat. And the other thing that they were devoted to was prayer. This was a regular part of their lives in meeting together. They realized just how important and integral prayer was and their need for God's help if they were going to grow the church and fulfill his mission. 
this church, this New Testament church, was an inseparable family. They were having meals together. They were getting together regularly in each other's homes. They were praying together and praising God. They spent time with each other, and they invested in each other's lives. They had community together. Sometimes I feel like we come into church. I come into church. And before we can even get done with the service, you see somebody you want to say hi to, and they're out the door and in the car before you can, you can even get your way to the, back of the, to the back of the sanctuary. And I'm guilty of this too. There's been plenty of Sundays in my time of going to church where I've told my wife, hey, let's, let's try to get out after service, all right? We got stuff to do. We got, let's try to get away home and just hang out. And, you know, let's, let's try to get out of here so we're not here till 1 o'clock. But the more that I realize what God is really calling us to, and the more that I dive into Scripture, the more that I understand I don't need to get home to have alone time with my family. I need to be making intentional time and being intentional with my life and spending time with my spiritual family. This church should be seen as our family. We need to be willing to step out of what, we may, what may be the way we've been doing things. And we need to maybe be willing to kind of change up the script a little bit, even if it makes us a little bit uncomfortable. Because when we look at God's Word, we see there might be something more. And I would have to believe that if Jesus was here in the pews today with us this morning, none of us would be slipping out during the last song and getting out of here before we said hello. All right? I think there would be a line. I think we'd all be waiting around to be with him. But sometimes I think we forget, right, that we have that spirit that Jesus had. We have the same spirit, and we have the same bond that these believers had with Jesus then that unites us today. Not only do we work through this so we can have community, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is in Proverbs 27. And this is, this is such an important thing for believers. It says, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. So this is our call as brothers and sisters to spend time together and sharpen each other. So as we go through life and go through our days, we have that encouragement, that fellowship that gets us through. It says in verse 44, they had all things in common. Now, I don't think this meant that they were all Cubs fans or Sox fans. I don't think, and it's possible, I think we're all Cubs fans, but I don't think it meant they all used the same essential oils. I don't think any of that means what they're talking about when they say they had all things in common. But these people were on a mission. Their lives were devoted to one thing and one thing only. Now, sure, they still had to make tents and they had to do their jobs and whatever that may be, but the devotion of their lives and their times and their energy was for one pursuit, and that was to make Christ known. The second thing that it talks about that really stands out of the church is that the church was magnified. It says that the church had favor with all people, even the unbelievers. The church had a powerful testimony at this time among the unsaved Jews and the unsaved people of the time. Not because of the mir- only because of the miracles done by the apostles and things going on, 
but really because of the way that the members of the church loved each other and served the Lord. It was contagious. It was contagious. These people were doing anything for each other. You need something? I'm going to sell my donkey. Here's you go. Here's the money. You need help with this? You know what? I don't need this cart. Let's sell it. Let's, let's take care of your need. They were doing whatever they could do to care for one another. And even the unbelieving world around them saw it and said, what is going on? So they had favor with all these people. All these people loved them, not even because they believed the same thing, but because they saw something so extremely different in their lives that it was contagious. People literally looked at them and welcomed them and felt drawn to them because of how well they loved each other. How amazing would that be for us today, right? For us to be that kind of church again? A church that when viewed outside of these four walls is just, just overwhelming. Not because of the size or the amount of people or how many parking spots we take up on the street. It probably wouldn't make people very happy, but because of the way that we love each other. That the Elmwood Park Community Church would be known as a lighthouse around this area. That people would know that we love each other well. And when there's a need, we're here. That's what the church truly needs to be as we move into the future. Many of us get upset as we listen about politics and and watch things on the news. And um, no matter where you stand in, in politics, if you believe that the government is not doing enough or you believe that they're doing too much and have their hands in too many things, it doesn't really matter. Because at the end of the day, the people fulfilling the real needs and the real brokenness around us should be the church. So when the church stands up and does their job to start to meet those needs and to start to fill those voids with something that the government can't fill those voids with, that's when we're going to see a change in the world around us and in the community around us. Because that's not something that politics will ever be able to fulfill. The church can be that solution that people need. And I'm excited about what we're doing we're starting conversations here about having a food pantry and a closed closet and classes for the community like ESL and things like that where we can start to just meet needs of people right here in our backyard. Not, not, not only on Sunday mornings, but every day of the week. The center of the fellowship that these people had in this New Testament church was that their fellowship revolved around the risen Christ. It didn't revolve around the service. It didn't revolve around how many kids' programs they had. It revolved around that they were all on mission together to serve the risen Lord. They all adored and they all magnified him and their lives showed it. There's a phrase that they said six times throughout Acts and it says that the believers were all in one accord. They all had the same mindset, the same, the same common goal. And what was that goal? It was what Jesus told them. It was to go. 
the church, the, the other thing that I want to point out about the church was that the church was multiplying. This is huge for us. It says in Acts 2.47, And the Lord added to their number, not monthly, not yearly, He added to their number day by day those who were coming to know the Lord and being saved. The growth that was taking place was supernatural. It was rapid and it was just uncontrolled. The Holy Spirit and God was doing so much work in people's lives. Christ had promised in Matthew that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not stand against it. And that was what he was doing. Matthew 28, 19-20 is where we find that command that those people were following. Let me read that to you here. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, my tent-making job is I work in sales. I have for a lot of years. So when I think of our, our church even here today, I, I think about it, you know, let's say, as crude as it may sound, in terms of a business, consider every, pers- every member of the church here to be one of the sales team. So let's say we have 60 or 75 members on our sales team. How many people would we say came to know Christ last year? Because of our team. Would we say five? Would we say ten? Would we say fifty? Maybe, maybe sixty. I don't know what the exact number is. But I know in any business, those numbers would be fireable. Right? If we had a sales team of 75 people, and we made ten sales last year, or we made fifty sales last year, we probably would all be fired. We probably all would be without a job. somehow we look at Scripture and we see God's command say, go, make disciples. And we show up on Sunday morning and we see who comes in the door and who doesn't. And then we go home. And then we come back next week and we see maybe a few new people or a few less people and then we go home. Imagine if we were adding to our numbers every single day like the New Testament church was. Not for our glory, not because we are counting numbers, not because we care if there's a thousand people at Elmwood Park Community Church for the sake of numbers. We don't care about numbers. We're not counting for that. But for God's glory, that people were being saved and lives were being changed because we're here. If each of us this year made five sales, if each of us brought five people to Christ this year. Next year, we'd be sitting here with 375 people in our church. How amazing would that be to be, have to have more rooms open or more services because we just couldn't fit everybody in here. It makes me so excited to think of what we could do. But it takes each and every one of us being intentional it takes having those real conversations with our neighbors and our family and our coworkers. 
It takes getting past the surface stuff and really diving into people's lives. It takes getting into the trenches sometimes and getting muddy and dirty alongside people. Because people are broken. We live in a broken and hurting and messed up world which makes all of us hurting and messed up and broken people. The only difference between us and the people outside is that we have Christ. And we have something that's mended our brokenness, that's cleaned our sinfulness. And that's the only difference between us and the people outside of here. So that's our job is to get in the trenches alongside them so that they can see and find a hope that is only found from Christ. I was thinking about it, and you know, really, let's just say, put yourself on a deserted island. And it was just you and a Bible. You didn't have the internet, you didn't have a preacher, you didn't have any theology books, you had nothing else with you. It was you and you found this Bible sitting around on the island. If you opened this Bible and you read it and you saw in Scripture what the church looked like, would you show up here on Sunday morning and think that that matches? When you read the Bible, would you show up and say, okay, or if you were going to build a church based off what you saw, would you say, okay, we're going to do this Sunday mornings, 10 o'clock, two hours, five songs, a couple prayers, and then out of here by 12.30 or 11.30. Would we ever do that? No, we never do that because that's not what we see in Scripture. We see a community of believers doing life together, and it's contagious. And that's my encouragement for us this morning. My encouragement is that we serve a real God, and He's an extremely loving and gracious God. But we also serve a powerful and sovereign God. And if you don't believe me, turn to page 2 in the Bibles in front of you, and you'll see that He wiped out the whole earth and killed everyone with the flood. That's page 2. So, And if you think that he toned it down in the New Testament, check out Revelation. You're in for a shocker. So God, as much as he is loving and gracious and waiting for people to come to know him, he also promises that he's going to be returning. He's going to be coming back. And then it's too late. Peter believed that. Peter believed that God was coming, Jesus was coming back. And that's what spurred him on. That's what spurred him on. Peter said a couple verses before we started reading, it says, save yourself from this crooked generation, from what's around you. Because even back then, the world was broken and messed up. So Peter said, hey, this is your only hope. This is what you have to believe in. This is the only thing that's going to make it better. Peter had urgency. And how many thousands of years ago was this? It's only getting closer and closer, friends. There's some days I just sit and I wish that Jesus would return. I'm ready. I'm ready to see him, meet him. Sometimes I wish when I sit at work it was that day and that hour. You know, I, I wouldn't mind. But Scripture tells us in 2 Peter 3, 9 that the Lord is slow 
to fulfill his promise. Not as we think of slowness, but he's patient towards us. Not wishing that anyone should perish, but all should reach repentance. So the Lord is being patient. He's waiting and he's hoping and he's, he's waiting for people to come to him and come to him and know him and have a relationship with him. But that doesn't mean we're just, we get to sit here and say, okay, you know what? Sean didn't bring anyone new into this church this year. What are we going to do with him? You know, no, that, that is each and every one of our jobs is to be going out to our communities and our friends and showing them how contagious the love is that we have for each other. There's a great quote, uh, and there's a book called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and there's a great quote in there. It says, It is so easy to think that the church has a lot of different objectives. Education, buildings, missions, holding services. But the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christs. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It is even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. We were created for God's glory. Now, we don't always do a great job of that. And this, is, this isn't only us. This is from day one, the first people here. But that doesn't mean that we can't turn it around. The Christians that we looked at in the book of Acts were not content to meet once a week for services as usual. They met daily. They cared daily. They won souls daily. They searched the scriptures daily. They increased in their number daily. Their Christian faith was a day-to-day reality, not a -a once-a-week routine. Why? Because the risen Christ was a living reality to them. And his resurrection power was at work in their lives through the Spirit. The promise is still good. Whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, it says in Scripture. So I ask you today, have you called? Have you trusted Jesus Christ to save you? Because we can talk about going outside of these four walls, but if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Christ yet, or you're just not sure, or you have questions as just to what this all means, then that's why we're here. Because we want to love you, and we want to walk alongside you. We want to answer those questions, and we want to do life with you so that you can see and understand what it means to live a life with God's Spirit and live a life where God calls you His child. Because nothing could be greater. This all was prefaced by what Jesus did on the cross. That's where it all, that's where it started and it ended. He died so that we could be made right, so that we could be made spotless. Because we all had a problem that we couldn't fix. Whether we like it or not, none of us is perfect. 
We all make mistakes. And because of that, we're all condemned. None of us deserves heaven. Because God has high standards. But God made a way for us. God made a way for us in our brokenness and our imperfectness to be made right. And there's nothing that we have to do for that but accept the free gift. Jesus did it all. He did it all when he went to the cross and he took our sin on himself. So he says, here you go. Here's the gift. I'm being patient. What are you waiting for? So I encourage you today, if you don't know, then don't wait any longer to accept that gift. And if you have questions or you're just not sure, let, talk to one of us and let us walk alongside you on this journey as you figure it out. And for those of us who do know and who know that we're children of God, what are we waiting for? I'd love to stand here next June and have to speak two sermons because we have, that many, we have to do a second service because we have that many people coming into our church because that many lives are seeing God at work at Elmwood Park Community. Pray with me this morning. God, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for the example that believers before us have set. God, that they were just on fire for you. God, that everything they did, including, God, just getting together to eat, was surrounded by a joy that they had because you had risen. You had conquered death and sin and had the victory, and they knew that they were your family. God, I pray that we would live lives that are bold like that. God, that are, have the kind of joy like that. God, that we would be on mission together. That, Lord, we would be in unison. God, not with small things like our own preferences and, and likes and desires, but God, that the heartbeat of our lives would be to make you known and have people come to know you as their Savior. So God, I just pray for Elmwood Park Community Church this morning. I pray that you would do a mighty work in just empowering your people to be bold as they speak to their friends and family and coworkers and anybody they have the chance to to tell them the good news of the gospel, that there's a way out of this brokenness and this painful world that we live in. God, thank you for that love and thank you for not asking us to do anything for it, but giving it to us as a gift. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, uh, we uh, corporately want to gather around the table.